Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Are you all doing okay? So Pastor Dave can't be with us today, as Kate already said. And one, uh, what he did is he asked then the leadership team if anybody had a word for, from God. And at that time, I was actually like, I don't think so. But then he encouraged us to like think about it and pray about it. And actually, um, that same afternoon, um, I think God told me, I've been teaching you about it already before. I've been teaching you already the last few weeks about it. So this is what I'm going to share. And my sermon title is No More Conviction. No More Conviction. We need to stop taking our minds hostage. And I'm going to go into it a time bit more in a second. But first of all, my name is David. Let me be more specific. I'm David Lamprecht. I'm not King David. I'm not Samuel. I'm not Abraham. I'm not Isaac. I'm not Joshua. I'm not John, Peter, Paul. I'm none of them. And when I look into the Bible, when I open the book, so often I read and I see these amazing heroes of faith and I feel inadequate. I feel like I, I, I can never reach up to the, to the standard that they have shown. I can never become like them. And in my mind, in my head, come these words, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I must become a better person. I need to stop messing up all the time. I'm not good enough. I need to change. These are the lies that come into our heads. And I wonder, it's not just me. It's probably not just me that when we open this amazing book and see about these amazing stories, we feel kind of down sometimes. You feel like, ah, I'm not, I'm not seeing myself where I would like to see myself. And so often we say, even after a preach or something, oh, that really convicted me. Don't we say that sometimes? Oh, this scripture or this, this message, oh, that really convicted me today. But how does it leave us? How, how does it make us feel at the very end? If it leaves us at a state where we feel like burdened, where we feel like, ah, oh, I need to do something, I need to change, I want to say today, this is not conviction. And I want to say we need to stop with that. We need to stop putting ourselves down. We need to stop depressing ourselves because that's not the God that we believe in. So I want to show today the difference between what I believe is conviction, what the Bible really says about conviction, and what the Bible says to be condemnation. Because I really think so often when we read, read the Bible and we think about ourselves and putting ourselves into that, we're actually condemning ourselves. The interesting thing is God isn't, so why are we? If God isn't condemning us, why are we? So. What I usually do, and you might have experience with when I come and teach, I like to look into the Hebrew and the Greek words, and quite often when we see in the New Testament the, um, uh, the word conviction being used, um, we see it's the word elecho. I'm probably butchering it in all the other <laughs> terms, but it's okay, it's as close as I can get. Um, and it means to convict, to bring light, to expose something to demand an explanation, to correct, or to chasten, like a parent corrects or chastens their children, right? 
But then I found this little bit at the very end, and I was like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> this where it says, with a suggestion of shame of the person convicted. And I put a question mark because there seem to be other opinions um, from other people that say, actually, it shouldn't have that negative connotation, but it seems to be. And I want to look into a couple of Bible passages when this word has been used and where it could make sense that it has this negative connotation. As a, as a comparison, though, I've also looked up krino, which is what we quite often use for condemnation, and this is to separate, to judge, to pronounce judgments. So if we look what the difference between conviction and condemnation should be, conviction is supposed to be it's exposing, exposing the things that are not correct so that they can be right. Condemnation results in judgment. And it's a time bit weird because in our English language, to convict actually has this negative connotation as well. So that's why it's important to look into like, what the Bible actually means and how else the Bible is using these words. And if you ever find yourself with a weird word or something that stands out to you, I want to encourage you. I'm, it's all like you can find it all online. It's so easy to study and to find these things. Uh, words like this, Krino or Elecho, uh, you can find on amazing resources like Bible Hub or Blue Letter Bible, which is my go-to place, essentially. And it gives me a lot of other Bible reference that this has also been used, that this word has also been used. And Elecho, this one, uh, I want to look a tiny bit into that, because the first time it's been used in the New Testament is in Matthew 18, verse 15. And it says, Moreover, if your brothers and sisters sin against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. The word for exposing is elecho, to convict, to expose, to bring to light. If there is a problem between you and a brother in faith or a sister in faith, you're supposed to bring it to light so that there's not... You imagine like you and your brother and there suddenly is this thing in between you, right? Like a brick, this thing that's literally dividing you and you're supposed to convict to bring it to light. Why? So that you can deal with it, so that you can sort it out and it can be removed and that you can gain your brother back. This is such a beautiful language. And it keeps talking afterwards about if that doesn't work, then take a third person with you, right? And if it still doesn't get resolved, then go in front of the whole church and sort it in front of the whole church. If it still doesn't work, then treat them as if they are a non-believer. But all of these other measurements are supposed to be to fix a relationship. The first time we see Elecho being used in the New Testament, and we don't see it in the Old Testament because it's a Greek word, right? Um, so the New Testament is mainly written in Greek while the Old Testament in Aramaic and Hebrew. So the word Elecho, a Greek word, we find the first time in Matthew. And it's always interesting to figure out what like when it's been used the first time because quite a lot we see references back to this time and it kind of sets a theme that's why it's important to find out what is, what is it with the first and the, interestingly i've also seen with the last time it has been used in revelation 3 verse 19 god says i correct and discipline everyone i love so be diligent and turn from your indifference again we see this word being used in terms of relationship because God is a good father that wants to correct us. 
It says the same in Hebrew 12, verse 5 to 6. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord's disciplines or chastens those he loves. And he punishes each one as he accepts as his child. What would God be for a father if he wouldn't, a loving father if he wouldn't correct us? Right? If we have children and they seem to be harming uh, others themselves or maybe even you, you want to correct them, right? In the same way, if we have tendencies, if we have habits that are completely blind to us, that are harming ourselves, other people, then God needs to expose it. He needs to convict us of it to bring it to light so he can work on it with us. Again, it's a relationship. It's a loving father-son relationship. So, so this is what I see quite a lot, this, that this means to expose that Elecho means to expose something that's hidden. Now let's go back to this weird thing at the end where it's shame, because the interesting thing is Elecho is also being used for non-believers. And when it seems for non-believers, it seems a time bit more like, it makes a time bit more sense that there's this negative connotation. Because, um, yeah, let's read. In Ephesians, um, we see, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds and of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them, bring them to light. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, in the darkness. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. That's what Elecho is supposed to do. It's supposed to shine a light on the things that are in darkness and that are secret and that are hidden. But why? Because darkness has to flee in light. In God's goodness and in God's light, darkness has to flee. It has no other choice. And when, we, and when God exposes things for non-believers and those that are doing evil, he, ultimately he doesn't want to condemn them. He wants to expose them so that he can build a relationship with them and he can draw them back to himself. In Luke 3, um, we see John rebuking Herod. He's a leader and leaders are usually set on a higher standard. Here it makes again sense why this shameful connotation could, be, could make sense. Like, why would you do these evil things on purpose? That's the only way that it makes sense for me. But here again, to rebuke, to bring to light the things that are being done in secret. But I love most this Bible passage um, in John 8. Then those who heard it, being convicted. What's happening here? We have the adulterous woman, and a lot of people want to stone her for what she is doing. And they ask Jesus, should we do this? Should we stone her like it says in the law? And Jesus says, just really easy, he says, the person that is without fault, throw the first stone. And it says here, then those who heard it being convicted by the conscious, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? We see that Jesus has convicted these people so that she wouldn't be condemned. So she wouldn't be 
judged on, that she wouldn't be put to death, because that's what condemnation is. It's death, ultimately, a death sentence. But he does it so that she wouldn't be condemned. He convicts, he exposes the things that are in secret of those people. They hid it so that they can accuse her, and Jesus brings it to light, not to condemn her, but to actually stop condemnation from happening. And when she said, no one is here, you know what Jesus says? Neither will I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And again, we can think, or this woman might think, oh, I've sinned, I need to stop. Oh, but actually, what's, what seems more likely? She's just been saved. Her life has been saved. How exciting is that, that she has a second chance in her life to do good. So instead of pushing herself down, being like, I'm such an awful woman. No, Jesus has given her a chance, says, I love you. I don't condemn you. Don't sin no more. It's a positive thing. It's a thing of encouragement and of exciting, excitement. And when I look into um, other stories where people have been convicted, I see so good, so well, what our natural response for conviction should be, what real conviction should look like and our real response should look like. The first story I looked for is Nathan and David. Really quickly, what's happening? David is, um, uh, he sees a woman called Bathsheba bathing and he kills her husband so that he can take her as his wife, which is awful even for those times. Okay? Even for those times, it's an awful thing, right? But Nathan f finds out, Nathan, a prophet at that time, he finds out and he approaches David and he talks about the story with a, about a poor man and a rich man, how the rich man takes the only lamb that the poor man has to, as a feast for his guest and asks David, what would you do? And David's response is, he needs to be like, we need to deal with that. That's not okay. And you know what Nathan says? You are that man. He, he compared it and said, you are that man. And David's response is like, oh, he realizes. And you know what he says? I have sinned against the Lord. And he brings out a whole psalm. If we look at Psalm 51, that's the psalm that he brings out about this passage. And he says, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. He's reaching out to God. His conviction didn't leave him in a state where he's separating himself from God, which conviction is. No, it leaves him in a state where he comes closer to God, where he says, I need you, God. I cannot do it alone. And you know what Nathan says? The Lord has taken away your sins. You are not going to die. You are not being condemned. This is what I think conviction really should look like. If it leaves us a stage where we feel shameful and guilty in a place where we separate us from God because we are so ashamed, that's not conviction, that's condemnation. In, instead, conviction really looks like us reaching out to God saying, I cannot do it alone, I need you, God, because you are so powerful. Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he is in the temple of the Lord. He has a vision of him being in the temple of the Lord. And he sees God's perfect glory. For a second, I thought that we had a blue screen again. <laughs> um, uh, he sees the perfect and awesome God. And he says, woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean 
lips. So why is he saying this? I think, um, so uncleanness is a very big deal in the Old Testament for, for Israel. Cere being ceremonial unclean means you cannot come into the presence of God. It doesn't necessarily mean, uh, mean that they are full of sin or that they have sinned. It can also be that they touch dead things or they touch blood or something that would make them ceremonial unclean. And it seems a time bit weird for us nowadays, but these were symbolics to, for God to show like in like what it is to be like in his presence, how good and perfect he is, and that there can be nothing defiling around him, right? That's why they couldn't just approach him in the tabernacle when they are, um, um, when they are unclean. And Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I think the reason why he says lips, because he is a prophet, he would identify himself with the lips, right? He would identify himself with the things that he speaks out and say, this is, this is part of who I am. But what happens then? Isaiah writes, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he has taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is completely backwards. For the times like this, when you touched, when you are unclean, and you started touching things, right? You started going around, these things are becoming unclean. Sorry, JJ. <laughs> right? These things are becoming unclean. And here we see this holy coal touching his lips, and instead of his uncleanness transferring over to the coal, we have for the first time the coal's cleanness transferring over to Isaiah. This is a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus, like already saying, I will bring somebody that will clean us. And Jesus literally walked around healing people with his touch, healing people and cleaning people. And this is a, this is because that's why this is so symbolic and so important and I, such an important vision saying, you know what, you cannot do it by yourself, but I can come. I can come and clean you up. I can make you whole again. I can make the things that are not right, right. It is God, not us. Isaiah, being convicted of his imperfect, made him reach out to God. He didn't run away from God, but he accepted and he received God's love, the burning coal, so that he could be clean. And what does God do? He sends Isaiah out so that he could preach his word. Conviction leads us at a state where we reach out to God and God is speaking to us. The Philippian jailer. In Acts, we have the story when Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they're in jail and they are, um, they are worshiping God. So they're uh, shackled, right? They can't move at all and they're in the innermost dungeon and they're worshiping God as you do when you're in a horrible position, right? Should be. Should be, actually. But they're doing this. They're worshiping a God. And then there's this earthquake that comes that sets them all free, or sets them free. And the prison door opens up, the shackles come off, the chains come off, and they're free, but they don't leave. And when the jailer wakes up, he thinks that he has messed up. He thinks that because he was supposed to protect them, make sure that they don't flee, suddenly the door is wide open. All he sees is that they must be gone, and he's about to kill himself. And they say, stop, don't kill yourself. And his response is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Again, seeing God's goodness, 
and his, uh, his mistakes in the comparison to God's goodness leads him to reach out. What must I do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your households. So when I look what conviction really means, it's supposed to expose the things that are in darkness, not to leave us separated from God. It's supposed to bring us closer to God because He is the one that can deal with our mess. He is the one that can deal with our imperfectness. He can deal with the things that we feel guilty about. And when we read our Bible, and I would encourage us, when we read the Bible the next time, which is hopefully not in a few weeks, hopefully it's today, right? We spend some time with God today. And if you haven't spent time with God in a long while, you don't need to feel guilty. You don't, be, you don't need to be like, God, I'm sorry, I haven't done it, I haven't done it again. I've, I've not spent any time with you. I'm so sorry. No, because you know what? God is on the other side being like, I get to spend time with you. I get to spend time with you. How exciting is that? And we, we so, so often feel like, oh, I'm not worthy. Like, I can't come to God. No, because you're not worthy, you can come to God because he's the one that makes us clean. So when we spend time with God, the next time, let's come with, approach him with this attitude. God, I need you. Convict me of my sin, not so that I feel shameful, but so that you can work in me, so that you can do awesome things in me. And we, you, if you need something practical to do to remind yourself of that, tell yourself, God isn't condemning me. Why am I? God isn't condemning me. Why am I? And don't see spending time with God as a to-do. See it as like you're with a friend in a coffee shop, spending time. And maybe instead of having this, oh, I need to read 50 verses today or 20 chapters today to, to be holy today, right? Maybe it's okay to just sit there, just pray or just be silent and be still and know that he is God, right? It's not about the things that we do. It's about the attitude that we approach him with of reaching out, God, I need you. So my encouragement today is let's stop convicting ourselves when we're really condemning ourselves. Let's start approaching him and seeing him as a wonderful, amazing God that he is. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness, for your amazing love that you care so much for us and that we don't need to come in front of your throne um, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, and feeling like, like you, you're going to punish us, but that you're a God that wants to restore us and that wants to help us, that wants to care for us. And I pray right now that you will um, give us the courage to approach you today, to be with you, to build relationship with you, God. That's not a task-based thing, but it's a thing of relationship, God. I pray that you give us um, the right minds, the right attitudes, that we don't need to be ashamed anymore, but that we can be joyful because you are an amazing God and you save us. In your holy name, amen.